This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Kay, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Power Athlete Radio. This week, we talk with a CrossFit Renaissance man, Mike Osuna. Mike is a former Arena Football League player turned fireman and has managed to dominate South Florida since 2008 with his six CrossFit affiliates. To top it off, he is also the founder of The Crush Games. And although Mike is no stranger to crushing business and real life, he has also appeared as a stuntman for football movies. The show kicks off with a lively recap of the South Korea seminar. And, as per usual, no CrossFit travel is without its quirky challenges. Then the crew dives right into how Mike became the czar of South Florida over the span of just a few years. Hear how he went from gym owner to franchise monopolist to running one of the most successful competitions in the history of competitive fitness. Mike's beginnings are not extraordinary, but the culture he's developed and the business he's built is truly impressive. Find out what he feels makes the biggest impact in terms of managing and growing a successful business from the members to the coaching staff. Also, find out more about the philosophy of his baby, the Crush Games, and why Power Athlete became involved in the shorter duration, high power sub-competition, the Samson Games. There's so much to learn from this humble fireman slash entrepreneur. This is Mike Asuna, and here is episode 124. What's happening, Power Athlete Nation? Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. This is Denny. I'm here with John, Luke, and Tex. Our guest, is... <laughs> Our guest today is Mike Osuna. Uh, he's, the, he's the founder and program director of the Crush Games. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to get him on the show. Mike, thanks for taking the time to talk some shop with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. For sure. Uh, you know what? Before we get the ball rolling, Luke, I got to ask you about that Korea trip. Oh, I'm good because I have a story for you, Denny, and Mike, and Podcast Nation. Let's Listen. hear it, dude. Okay. So um, you may remember the Booger Crumpler from about a year and a half ago. Absolutely. So, Mike, to give you a brief version, I forget where I was traveling, but I was window seat, and there is this dude in the middle seat. Uh, and basically he leaned over for, while we took off for like 20 minutes until we got to 20,000 feet and, uh, was picking his nose the whole time, looking out the window, legit in my lap, picking his nose and crumpling his boogers and dropping them on my lap. That's so, anxiety thing. Uh, and I just like sat there in disbelief and like. I don't know. You, you can ask most of the guys here. Like, I'm a super patient dude, but I had another one this time. Uh, was flying Asiana Air, and they the uh, we were going to South Korea, and most of the the flight attendants were Korean, and they you know they spoke some English, but it wasn't super like they weren't super dialed in. But uh, I was second row from the back by design, aisle seat, so I can get up, stretch out, do some lunges and squats, stay you know stay limber, 
and uh, the dude next to me on my aisle on the inside was an old, crusty, like, northern European dude or something who had, like, had very broken English, so there's two, but he spoke no fucking Korean, so there's just a huge communication barrier, and this fucking guy was so grumpy, you know, he's got to be, like, 80 years old and just grumpy, like, grumpy old men style. Like, and, like you this morning. Oh, I'm still grumpy right now, you be careful. Uh, but he, you know, and he's just like, oh, I'll have a glass of water. And they're like, what? you know, pardon me? He's like, I want some water. And, you know, just kind of like shaking his fist at these um, flight attendants. And he's wearing like these this members only jacket. His hair is combed back. He's got these like Sansa belt pants on. Ooh, the Sansa like, belt slacks. Yeah, and like the, like, just proper old guy. Like an old guy. Did he have the old guy smell? <laughs> I, I think I can't smell too good. But uh, he he looked like he had the old person smell. Like he looked like he should be a character on Seinfeld. Yeah, like he was old. Yeah. Anyway, so here let he, me just fast forward. Wrinkly shirt. He's got like yeah, a. Yeah, he looked like the guy. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking Who's about. Who's the guy in Seinfeld? Yeah, like, hey, he's like, hey, good morning. Hey, yeah. Morning. That's uh, what he looked that's like. That's what Seinfeld was down in uh, down in Florida. The book of down in Boca, Boca Raton. This is the guy. Okay, that guy. So I don't need to describe it anymore to you. So right. here's what happens, okay? Everything's cool. We we eat, uh, or like they serve food you're supposed to eat. I don't know. It was it was Asian cuisine, like all these deep fried anchovies. Long story longer. Uh, I finally get to a point where I start to doze off, and we're like ten hours into this trip. It's a twelve or thirteen hour flight, so it's like maybe we're like I almost made it, you know? And um, I I recline. And I like to lay on my right side, so that's why I picked the aisle on the left. So I have the aisle to my left. So I'm leaning on this empty center seat uh, with my right hand, like with my head on the right side, and I doze off. I turn off the little TV in front of me, and I just kind of doze off. And uh, I wake up to, like, just waking up. My hand brushed something furry, my right hand, and I wake up to the fucking old guy sleeping on my lap. <laughs> <laughs> like he fucking he like laid over and probably tried to stay like in that center seat zone but he just kind of comfied up with his head on my lap and his hair was amazingly soft I was going to say where was his hand his hand two pillows yeah, his hands were you know between his legs and his pants no uh, I, I, I was so fucking out of it man I was just so tired and uh, you know like I'm sure everyone in the world would have pushed this motherfucker off but I was just like, oh, he looks all right down there. Dude, Texas flying from D.C. He was probably stuck oh, in Detroit at the time. All right. Yeah, Tex usually has a pretty good adventure. He usually like ends up in a middle seat for like <laughs> hours with some old lady who's like crocheting and some young kid playing fucking video games and Tex over there trying to read Super Training for the 400. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I had a lap layer this time through. And I just, same thing, I just kind of let it go. I didn't really make a fuss out of it. Wow. What are you going to do? Dude, guys, I, I in the lap layer. Yeah. yeah. The fact that when Luke told me, I'm like, did you start caressing his hair? And then as soon as, he, <laughs> as soon as he went to wake up, when he looks up at you, you just take your finger and you put, press it against his lips and go, <laughs> everything's, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Go to sleep. Yeah. Or you just throw him in a sleeper and fucking choke him out, you know? Uh. But uh, besides that, and, and Tex can, I'm sure, attest to this, because he and I, like, we hiked all around uh, South Korea. The seminar was good. Um, we had to switch it up just because 
language barrier, learning barrier, and just seriously like a gap in where those CrossFit gyms in South Korea are with mm -hmm. utilizing their training to train athletes. Uh, the, the major sport down there is baseball, and there's not a lot of youth baseball. So there's not a lot of like youth athletes and developmental athletes that are coming across the gym. Are they all baseball players foreigners? Uh, some were Latin American. Uh, we didn't see any North American guys, but it was mostly Asian players. But they don't have Korea. any development teams, and how do they get good at playing baseball? I have no clue, honestly. Like we Makes like sense. trying to engage in that discussion would have been a, a lengthy, a lengthy ordeal. But uh, I'll tell you what, all of them were exceptional uh, exceptional movers. And uh, in With terms of... baseball players or the people at the seminar? The people at the seminar. Oh, we're all good movers. Yeah, like after you coach them up, they were capable of doing it. But they weren't necessarily capable of understanding, like, Why? the cueing and keeping it consistent and replicating. You know, you and Tech sell pretty good. You guys hike around. When I, uh, when I travel with Hinsman, all she ever wants to do is go eat. Well, that's what all we wanted to do. But here's the thing. When you're walking down the fucking alley of South Korea... Every sign is a neon sign in Korean. And you're like, is this a casino, a toy store, or a restaurant? And then when you go in there, like, the, my biggest nightmare is just pointing at something on the menu and uh, it being like your fish eye soup story, John. Like, I'm, next thing you know, I'm eating squid testicles or some yeah, shit like that. Actually, that wasn't fish eye soup. That was an uh, Italian restaurant we went to that supposedly was serving some Italian dish. And as I go to take up what I thought was like a uh, like a, like like a ravioli, almost like a stuffed ravioli they brought out for appetizers, I put it in my mouth and I feel this thing just like squish and explode <laughs> in my mouth. <laughs> and, and I'm like I'm like this, and I'm like, God, that kind of doesn't taste like any ravioli. And then when I asked the guy, I was like, Well, what was it? And he basically um, tells me it's uh, they were. Um, uh, sperm sacks. They were like, uh, uh, like I can't remember what the fish, or it was some fish, or uh, I forgot what it was, but it was like some uh, something comes from the sea, but they basically cut out these sperm sacks, yeah. and then they oh. fucking oh. dressed them up to look like stuffed raviolis in an oh, Italian perfect. restaurant, and, and the, they, these guys have heard the story, but I when I was in Japan, I went to this restaurant that was an Italian restaurant, and the guy's like, great-grandfather had gone to Italy in like the you know the twenties or the teens and was like a assisted in an Italian restaurant and then he came back to uh, Japan and then World War Two hit and like this and they never left Japan and he basically kept the the restaurant going and they didn't have like access to anything so they developed all of the food and everything based off of Japanese cuisine <laughs> and then he taught his the grandfather the father and then the son was running it and they kept this restaurant going for like a hundred years so it was the most eclectic Italian food. Like, you're like, the names look Italian, but this is not Italian food. Like, the carpaccio was... <laughs> but, yeah, those sperm sacks. And I, like, put it in my mouth, and, like, the look just exploded. And, like, the guy oh. was, like, looking at me, and I'm like... It's good, isn't it? Not ravioli? And he's like, oh, no, no, it was a sperm sack. I'm like, you fucking bastard. You spermed it. You jerked You fucking jizz-mopped me. <laughs> when you when you're presenting in front of a group like that, and you, and you uh, are using an interpreter, do you ever feel like... You know, like all the bad jokes and the movie oh, references. Oh, it's worse. Like, do you, you, you just have, like, a go-to presentation for that kind of, like, environment? That kind of Yeah. Thing? Yeah, it's right. Cut and dry and outline. I mean, my jokes still work. Text really struggle. You know, <laughs> I've got – my jokes have range. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I got to listen to these things, and text is over there. Like, well, uh, 
hold on, hold on. So what we did <laughs> is we screwed up the dialect. So Luke and I would break one sentence into two parts, and so we would say, like, the, the human torch was denied, and leave it like a click hanger, wait for the interpretation, and they would say, a bank loan. But it turns out in Korea, you want to put the end of the sentence first, and we were really just screwing everything up. Yeah, and the, the interpreter didn't tell us until after day two. I'm like, so how'd we do? And she's like, oh, well, uh, the sentence structure in Korea, it, you know, is reversed to what English typically is. So you really, you had me guessing for like half the seminar. Like Yoda, like the way Yoda talks, huh? Like, Essentially, yeah. Wait, so like, oh, so Yoda, like, so give me an example of, uh, um, of, of like what we would say, like, how, like how you structure the sentence. Uh, let's say text. I'm drawing a blank. You're the memory guy. Uh, you know, um, if you want to program for strength, then you should select rep ranges within four to seven at maximal loads. Like, and then you would say me. rep ranges at four to seven when you program for strength. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got you. So it's, kind of, <laughs> it's a little bit like Spanish. Spanish is backwards also. Like say, instead of saying yeah. the white horse, you say the horse white, which is weird because when you try to translate word for word, you'll get it backwards and you'll sound. Yeah. Huh? Mike, you're kind of creeping me out, man. I feel like you're talking. To, we're talking to Ray Romano. <laughs> we got a Ray Romano voice. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, am I the only one who feels like uh, everybody loves Raymond moment, or or no? Uh, I think you're the only one in here who watches any television, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with that one. I, I was like, uh, everybody loves Raymond. Yeah, if it was like Courtney Cox or... Yeah, uh, if it was a Friends Oh, it's got to be Friends. You know, friends. Like, oh, no problem. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I know the every, world's every biggest Friends fan. Uh, I, it sounds like... Uh, I want to compete it top South Africa? Africa? All right, one at a time. I was just going to say, did it top the South Africa trip? Um, I don't know. I mean, just not, different, two different worlds. Yeah, two totally. It, it, you know, it's, it's it's pretty interesting. I, that was my first time in any sort of um, in sort of Asian culture that deep in. You know, so it was a it was definitely a culture shock for us, but. Um, it, it definitely helps, like, um, and I, I know when we went to Japan, we had uh, people with us that were kind of, like, showed us around and, like, yeah. took us around and translated and, like, knew, had been to America enough to be able to, like, all right, let me bridge the gap and make sure, like, we're not completely fucked. And uh, I think with these guys, I didn't really have that because um, for some reason, like, whether it was the host or whatever, like, when we go to a foreign country, usually mm -hmm. the the gym that we're training or what we're teaching the seminar, the hosts are usually really, really like, uh, communicating, yeah, accommodating. Like, let me take you out. Like when we went to Spain, like, uh, those guys were with us at every step. I mean, you know, go here, go here. I made you a reservation. And so I think like, but maybe, you know what, what not... I just remembered is, uh, they ran classes before and after the seminar. So they were running, uh, 5am classes and they were running then 6pm, 7pm classes. So that's why, that's why, uh, YJ couldn't go with us, uh, and then, I mean, I don't know. It was, we could have asked the interpreter, but it was like, you know, one one babe, two hunks. It just would have been weird, you know. Yeah, it would have been I'll tell you <laughs> one one funny thing. We went to a baseball game out there just to check it out, and they did a seventh inning stretch, and they oh, yeah. stretched. Both teams went on the field, kind of did some hamstring stretches. There was no music played at all. It was really weird. Mm -hmm. So they literally did a seventh inning stretch, not realizing the seventh inning stretch is for the crowd. No, it's for the players now. 
It's right. <laughs> a little lost in translation. Yeah, they're yeah. like, oh, we stretch. It must be for the team. Like, no, but, no, 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 you guys stretch. Well, I mean, I guess it, it just, just wrap it up, though, and we can get on to Mike. I mean, he's the interesting one here. Uh it was a good it was a good trip. I think we'll be back because it's, the, the culture there is just in terms of like uh, strength conditioning and CrossFit is is on the rise. And uh, a, a lot of the attendees said it would you know the information was great. We got to come back. They have coaches that they want to get involved. So I think the demand is definitely there for another seminar. Plus, Tex and I found a street vendor that made custom suits and shirts out of the most hideous like material. But it took like two or three days to get them manufactured. So, uh, but we found them on the last day. So we got to go back there and get our custom-made power athlete suits. Put together. Ooh, I've been trying to talk you guys into that for a long time. No, no, no. I don't want like your fancy NFL suits. I, I want like Run DMC warm-ups. <laughs> my guy, my guy at the street vendor can can do whatever we need. Like it. Just we just got to wake him up from his nap. Yeah, nobody wants to be a gangster until it's time to do gangster shit. So, uh. Mike, let's let's hop over to you, man. So, I mean, uh, we were as CrossFit football involved in the Crush Games uh, a little bit a couple years ago. Uh, so, I know it's been going on for for quite some time now. Why don't you tell us when this whole Crush Game started? What it's all about? How you become like the the mega location down in bizarre uh, in Miami? Yeah, like, what's bizarre. going on? How did you do it? How can we do it over here in Southern California? I mean, it's uh, it's been a whirlwind. It's been a, a a short five years, I should just say, on how quickly this whole thing came about. And I think the 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 main reason this whole thing kind of exploded down here in Miami is not just the competition side, but the CrossFit side of it. Um, when we opened up our boxes back in '08, I want to say that we probably with the third box opened up and uh, our membership skyrocketed within the first seven, eight months to about 700 members. It was crazy. It was astronomical number. So much so that uh, Coach Glassman came down here and he kind of talked to me a little bit about uh, programming and I'm like, you know, Coach, listen, I, I get it, but, you know, we have a problem that not many other boxes have. We are eight up clock class has 70, 80 people on the norm. This is like on a Friday. It's crazy when people should be hobbled it up down here. And what we realized was that these guys were hungry for competition. They really were. In the classes, you would get the guy, is it, you know, run to the bathroom to go pee or throw up and get to the bar and they're slapping themselves in the face and it, just crazy, like taking this to a whole nother level. And um, that year I went out to the CrossFit Games. Um, obviously, I was just, you know, drowning myself in everything CrossFit. Uh, every second counts. That's actually where I first saw John um, made his debut there. Um, and then it kind of just hit us. You know what? Let's do a competition and let's try to get these guys into some type of um, event itself. So uh, uh, we had a couple of connections at a, at a casino slash dog track and it was gorgeous because it has a huge grandstand it kind of it lent itself perfectly to this event um and we had kind of like no marketing advertising social media wasn't that big back in those days this was 2011 um i don't even think instagram was launched back then but uh kind of had the who's who of the southeast region come down realize okay you know we're kind of onto something here um and from there uh at that time the cross market exploded i think there's I lost count like a year ago, but there's over a hundred boxes down here in Miami alone. You count uh, the the Tri County area, and there's close to 250, 300. So just 
this area down here, John's been down here obviously uh, several times. He knows what it looks like down here. It's just it's uh, overwhelming with uh, as many CrossFitters and fitness-minded people that you have. So it's kind of evolved from there. What was once a one-day event with three or four um, workouts in itself, it's now a three-day event uh, with uh, six workouts, and it has eight different divisions. And then this year we introduced the Samson Games and then the Crush 5K. We saw that there was a – a huge market outside of the of the CrossFit um, competition itself. Guys that are into lifting basically heavy shit and girls uh, that are it's huge down here in, in South Florida. And then obviously the running demographic that's down here also. You know these guys are able to run all year round, unlike our you know northern uh, friends that you know they're kind of like limited to several months of the year. Well, these guys just run all the time. There's hundreds of running clubs down here. People on in, in the weekends running all over the place and. So we decided to, to add this other multi-fitness aspect to it with the Crush 5K and Samson. So it's it's really kind of taken off. Yeah, you guys were a part of it, and I'm happy that you guys are back now. No, it's great. I mean, I look at something like this, and I know it's definitely my flavor in terms of uh, the Samson side of things, but it's – now, can competitors – you got to pick one competition, right? Or the, can you com- do, like, uh, the Grand Slam and compete in everything? Well, you know um, – Actually, the way that the logistics work out, you are able, and we do have a couple of people doing both of them because Friday and Saturday, competitive fitness, so it's called ComFit, the ComFit portion of it um, are Groundhog Days. They're basically what we call qualifying days. So you either pick Friday or Saturday, whatever suits you. So some athletes chose Friday to compete in ComFit. Then they're doing Samson games on Saturday, hoping they qualify into Sunday. So they'll actually be working out all three days. We've had a couple of people ask if we could push the Samson games just a little bit later because they want to run the trifecta and do comp fit the 5K race in the morning, Saturday morning, then jump in with you guys in the Samson game and then finish it off the comp fit. So um, I told them they just got to run faster to make it to their first heat of, of Samson games. So. Uh, but we have, we have a few multi-level athletes doing both. Wow. That's that's crazy. I, I people must hate themselves, you know, to put them through that. <laughs> they do. It's it, it's what it comes down to. Like you gotta be mad at somebody. I always say to be really good at CrossFit, you gotta like you try to prove something mm-hmm. wrong. You gotta prove something to your dad or your mom or your, like your high school PE coach or something. Like I'm gonna fucking you know you gotta have something dark within you that allows you to go to that dark place that often, you know. And it's mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, I'm glad that people are finding it. I mean, it's teaching people a lot about themselves, so it's awesome. I- Absolutely. You, you got to find that switch. I mean, I remember I talked to um, my girlfriend all the time. She's a lot younger than I am. I'm, I just broke 40. But I talked to her, and she's uh, she's actually one of my coaches, and she's, you know, always ranting and raving about new members and guys will walk in and how – and I'm like, look, I just don't have that switch anymore. You know, I, I when I was there, I was able to, you know, flip it on and, you know, bang my helmet into the locker, run out there and, you know, <laughs> beat some ass for a couple hours. That's just not me anymore. I'm, I'm happy being the guy that will program and actually make these events happen. But – um, it's that youth, man, something that you'll never get back. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, you have a background in football as well, right? That's what we share in common. Yeah, absolutely. I played, uh, I played defensive end at UCF. This was, shit, I'm dating myself now, but 95 through 98. And then I did a couple years of arena football. Um, and, uh, shit, that was my last game was in 2003 so it's been a while but yeah I, uh you know the one of those guys chasing the nfl dream as much as you possibly could until 
they basically grab you by the ear and say, hey, dude, just, you know, get out. You know, let it go. So, yeah, they're like, uh, uh, you got to go find something else. And then you went yeah. down and uh, you uh, became a firefighter and then just kind of happened, stanced into the CrossFit. Like, how, like, how did you first, uh, what was your first experience? More importantly, like, like, how did you get it? I mean, obviously training for football, um, you know, you, you know, you lifted weights, you've done metabolic conditioning, you ran it. It was just kind of a natural fit. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and I was still training that way even during firefighting, just because it's it's what I did on my off days. As you know, you know the firefighters down here they work uh, one day on, two days off, so it's kind of just you know what you do. You go and and I was I was training a little bit different than most guys because I was still running hill sprints, pulling sleds, prowler push, you know the bench, the deadlift, all that type of stuff, and uh, just basically one day at one of the boxes, I'm, I'm sorry, the one of the stations, I kind of floated into the station. There was a dude that and and it's 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 the conventional. CrossFit story, and this guy shows me this website. Looks at, I look at the workout. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is a joke. So we go outside and we do it. And I don't remember. It was, it was thrusters and box jumps or something that looked so easy, silly. And of course, it's one of those that you get your ass kicked and you realize, holy shit, you know, I'm not the shape that I thought I was. And immediately that I signed up for a uh, the CrossFit shirt. And then after that, I kind of just drowned myself in. And immediately after, I was. Um, kind of playing around and doing some personal training and some uh, some speed training with some of the football players that I had from old old high school. Uh, coach reached out to me and said, "Hey, can you come help my guys out with some speed stuff? Some stuff that I learned in college." So I went down there, started helping that out, and that kind of developed into like, you know, I can make a couple bucks off this thing. Started uh, getting some personal clients, and then it just kind of miraculously happened where I went from training athletes to, "Hey, can you train my mom? She wants to lose some weight." And I was like, yeah, that will be cool. And before you know it, I had a boot camp. And uh, that boot camp kind of evolved into 30 or 40 um, moms. And then it led into uh, elementary and junior high school. So I actually had about seven schools that I was training uh, in the PE area, in the recess area. And, um, and then that developed to you keep getting rained out here in Miami at 4 o'clock. So I found a location, and we opened up I Am CrossFit. And we now own uh, six boxes. And um, it's been a while where, like I said, this started back in 2008, and shit, it's been already seven years doing all this stuff. And um, but that's kind of what kind of led me into the whole CrossFit side of it. And then I was one of those guys that just was engulfed in it, and I would, you know, travel everywhere, go to the Philly Fest, you know, talk to as many people as I possibly could, and um, went to the, the CrossFit Games, however I could make it there, whether it was a competitor or whether it was a spectator. And I kind of just swallowed the whole thing up, and, and I fell in love with the whole community side of it, and it it crosses over with football a lot, you know, a lot of the things. The one thing that I loved about CrossFit, and I kind of shunned away a little bit about boot camp, was that the demographic of people that you get that do CrossFit, it's a little bit more, they're rough around the edges. Some things are a little bit more acceptable in a CrossFit gym than it is in your global or uh, my, pseudo-Miami type gym where you really can't, you know, cuss and scream and you know crank up the music and that's more my style so when you listen to when you go into some of these high-end uh gyms down here as a personal trainer and they're not even allowed to bang stuff on the floor it's kind of just not what i was looking for and kind of crossfit fit that model of okay this is exactly like old school football minus the football part of it so yeah it's it's a pretty good locker room environment you know where you can kind of just say whatever the fuck comes to mind when you're banging weights and you're in the moment Right. right thing too is I always I always thought my so much was, so and then uh like was, was such a perfect environment for it because um you know I mean like I, I 
you know, and I, I've told Mike this, but I, I lived in Tampa for a number of years and actually lived in Miami. I lived at 17th and James down South Beach for an off season. And uh, never have I ever been anywhere other than South America, Brazil, where people were more into what they look like, their physical appearance, like their outfit, everything. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just like kind of that Latin vibe. And I remember we went to Brazil and I remember we walked into this club and all these girls were out dancing and they were all dancing kind of facing out. And I'm like, why are they all dancing facing out? And then I realized that uh, they were all looking at themselves in the mirror, and I was like, oh, that's my analogy for Brazil. But, like, you know, I mean, it's just it's just like, dude, uh, the, the weather's warm all year round. People don't really dress all that much, and it's just like the, uh, you know, it just kind of is a natural fit for it. So, you, you know, it's competitive. You want to be in shape, and, man, it just... A little bit of vanity. I'm telling you, vanity's not a bad thing. I mean, no. this is a mortal sin, but, uh, you know, it's not, I mean, it's, it's alive and well in Miami. It keeps fitness in the industry going. Exactly. So, Mike, did you always, uh, I mean, running those boot camps, it sounds like you kind of stumbled into it, but when you opened up that first gym, did you know that you wanted to be, like, a multi-location endeavor, Is or did that just all kind of fall into place as well? No, absolutely. It all just fell into place. You know, it's kind of a, it's kind of like coach's model that there was no business plan for this. And and everything that um, I've kind of created has come from demand. Uh, the boxes, uh, my formula supplement company and the crush games have all come from a demand, um, especially the boxes, the location where we had, we were busting at the scenes. Uh, imagine we had, we had an 80 person class. We were getting as creative as possible. It, it was dangerous. At some point, there was kettlebells and, and bars being thrown all over the place. The, the crazy part about it is, and those those members loved it because it's control chaos. And um, speaking to some members and just talking here and there, and we kind of stumbled across a guy that said, look, I got a perfect location down in, in Coral Gables, which is a little bit higher end where we were originally at. And he said, you know, come check it out. It's kind of like a retail spot. And we went and looked at it. The numbers were, were right. We opened up the box. And in six, seven months, you have 500 members there. So now you got 600 members in one location, 500 members for another. And you think to yourself, Jesus, this, this place down here is just starving for CrossFit. Back in those days, anybody that walked through the door, they see the word CrossFit. And now uh, you, you know, got to explain to them the whole CrossFit thing. What are you doing Saturday morning? Come get a workout and that type of stuff. And these people just love the pain. And on top of everything, we were huge into social gatherings. So Every Friday night, it was some type of happy hour that we did. We did parties all the time. We uh, beach watched, which were probably every two or three months. And then slowly but surely, there was another location that opened up in Brickell, which I would kind of say it's close to like a like a Manhattan-type area down here in South Florida, which keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's probably three square miles, but everything goes up. So we found a fantastic location over there. And then just one thing happened after another. The whole thing was made possible simply because of the, the coaches that we had on board you know we had brought on coaches that were ex-athletes and we kind of just showed them the model taught them what you know basically the way that the program should be done and they helped us write it and we went from one box to one box one one box leaving those coaches behind to kind of run it like if it was their own and it basically was you know when we would go and open up another location from everything from build out to developing uh, the program to actually recruiting people marketing and branding by that time, before you know it, it's six months, and you haven't even gone to the other box, but yet it's doing fantastic because that coach has been running it as if as if it's his own. So um, that's been now. It's been six boxes. It's been you know, like I said, a whirlwind, and it's a fantastic. But um, it's crazy down here. There's a there's probably a box every square mile down here in Miami. If you guys come down here, you, you know, I'll show you. There's a, a rock throw away from every single one of my boxes. There's just another box just right down the street, and they're all thriving. They're all doing well. 
you know, that's um, I was having a conversation with somebody. Not you know, the, there wasn't that much of a competition, but in that conversation, like I remember old school uh, Glassman article where he was talking about how it's almost like you're encouraging somebody to open up a gym across the street because it'll just kind of make you better. And I always, I always liked that. But then I've had conversations with people who are like, man, there's just too many, you know, uh, gyms in the area. It's too difficult. So they had a totally different perspective on that. Um, it, it sounds like you, you're kind of uh, like the former of that, that you, you, it, you develop um, better gyms because of the competition. Yeah, I, I, I would say there's a little bit of both. It's a double-edged sword, you know, on the, the business side of it. When it comes to the straight, downright dollar, it obviously hurts your box because if a box opens up, you know, um, three square miles, that's, that's our whole thing. It's a radius of three square miles is what we look at when we try to figure out what's a good location for another box or for, for a, a potential box. It's what does a three square miles radius look like because – the more that this CrossFit community grows, the more option that these people are going to have. Miami traffic is an absolute. You will bypass two or three boxes for a couple of months before you stop into a new location that you haven't been yet, that you start hearing about, whether it's in friends, Instagram, and whatever. You'll try a Saturday at class over there. You go try a Saturday class, and then you go try a Tuesday evening class, and all of a sudden it's closer to your house and so on and so forth and the programming might be similar so before you know it you lose that member or you gain that member depending on you know what side of the of the coin you're on um so in that aspect it hurts the bottom dollar because now you have uh, um if you have a box that opens up a, a mile and members you know 100 of those members go over there just because it's more convenient or they drop the they have an opening registration price and people are always looking for the, the cheap dollar and themselves don't necessarily know the difference of programming um, or maybe they just downright have a better facility maybe they have a global gym next to you maybe they have a sauna maybe have something else something more so it, when it comes to the programming the competitive side of it, absolutely you got to be on your a game because what you're not doing they'll do you whether it's marketing whether it's branding whether it's programming whether it's the actual strength and conditioning program which is uh, the, the social part of it the uh, the developing a community or whatever it may be, if you're doing it, they're going to do it. You know, the, the one thing I, I personally, how do you open up multiple boxes? You know, how do you keep your membership so high? One, it's luck. The, the luck, location, or the, the two, if you've done wrong, you know, I tell people that my value doesn't really come by what I could tell you to, to do. It's what I could tell you not to do because we've done so many things wrong in the past that we realized, okay, that doesn't work. Or that class, you know, weighs more than this class. Do you need a boot camp aspect? Because a lot of these CrossFits down here in South Florida, they have a boot camp side of it. Because as much as you try to market to uh, the competitor side of it, and then there's the girls that will never, ever, ever walk into a CrossFit gym simply because it says the word CrossFit on it. Not understanding that, okay, this is obviously universally scalable. And we could lower the uh, movements and the intensity level to fit your needs. And then slowly we're going to ramp you up without you actually knowing it. But they just won't step foot in it because they're so, so – these boxes do a boot camp class. 
and it's all it is is simple filter. They titrate you into this boot camp class. They'll do some dumbbell movements on and so forth. Three or four weeks, they you know walk in and hey, let me show you the cleaning jerk. Let me show you a snatch. Well, this movement's great. before you know it, they walk into cross and they absolutely love it. It's just getting them through the door. You know, the one thing that we try to do, and, and we teach our coaches this all the time, is it's just like Glassman used to say is. When they come in and they ask about CrossFit, just tell them to stick around or come into a Saturday morning class. Our Saturday morning classes, our free classes on, on Saturdays, they're scaled down for the general public. There's no bar movements or any of that stuff going on. We put on a fun, happy community-type workouts just to kind of get them feeding in here. And then we start kind of titrating them into the Olympic lifts and the power lifts and all that type of stuff. But you still get all the conventional wisdom, especially in Miami. You get all the conventional wisdom and all these myths you know, string and, you know, the Hulk gene and all that stuff, but you got to kind of coax them out of it. So it's, I, I see both sides of it, especially now going into my eighth year and owning the six boxes. I've seen the ups and downs in the market. Some of our boxes still thrive. Others, you know, struggle depending on their location and stuff like that. But it's, it's great for the actual member. That's who it definitely benefits is the actual member because one, they're getting, it's not a, a monopoly anymore. They have options. They have options of location. They have options of pricing. They have options of coaches because so many coaches are so knowledgeable down here that are level one search, level two search, guys that are looking for their level threes. And then it gives them um, the variance. They are able to bounce from box to box. Many boxes down here don't have contracts. It's not like a global gym. So they're able to go from box to box until they find one that suits their need. There might be one with a great Olympic program just because they have you know, great Olympic lifting coaches, other guys with power guys, other guys with gymnasts. So it just depends on what they kind of fall into and let us do. Gives them the option. So it's definitely great for the CrossFit community as a whole down here. As a business, it's just like everything else. If I own a, a sushi restaurant and you own one and you open up across the street, you're going to dilute me a little bit and then we're going to kind of be going after, you know, the, the, the almighty dollar and seeing how we could, you know, kind of outbeat each other. It's the same thing across the board. Mike, good help is hard to find. So you said a little bit in the beginning when you found some coaches, they were former college athletes. What process do you have in place to develop new coaches? Because it still sounds like y'all are growing pretty well. Yeah, you know, um, it's kind of – I've developed the, the, the model that we've created kind of from the fire department. You know, in the fire department, you have your battalion chief that kind of oversees everything. Then it goes down to the district chief, then your station captain, and then the – the lieutenant and the medics underneath it. It's kind of developed into the same way. When we first started, everything, absolute, from, from the blogging to the programming, uh, the coaching from early in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, all the way to late at night, so on and so forth. So I was doing it all. So I made a lot of things um, work more efficiently, only because I was the only one handling it. And then I started to realize I cannot continue to do this day in and day out, obviously with the multiple boxes that we are going to own and the, my career as a fireman. So I started bringing in coaches to help me out. And uh, one of the first coaches that we brought on with was a, on the academia side was an exercise physiologist. And she kind of helped me program a little bit better. Um, I went to a lot of the, the CrossFit um, uh, special shirts and I learned some more from that. And I also kind of worked around the logistics side. So bringing these coaches on board, um, slowly teaching them exactly what to do on the logistics side and then helping them out with the programming. I created a programming team. So in these coaches, more responsibility, which they were hungry for. They wanted to program these workouts. They wanted to put their name under the workouts um, only because they felt a sense of uh, responsibility and contribution. So they started coming on board. And that slowly titrated to the fact that we kind of had about seven coaches on staff some of these coaches were paid coaches. Other were coaches like, look, just take care of my membership. 
you know, I'll coach two or three classes. I'll help out there too because these wear a shirt that said coach. You know, we had some of the guys that came on, ex-baseball players, that came on board that knew a lot of exercise and physics. They fell in love with the CrossFit, CrossFit side of it. And then we opened up the next gym. And when we opened up the next gym, I left and I opened was there kind of doing the same thing, developing code, developing the actual gym structure, and then I went to the next one. So that's kind of how it worked was I want to say that le left in my wake were these great coaches. Now what we have is just over 51 coaches, and each one of these coaches are uh, 10 times smarter than I'll ever be. These guys have fallen into the – one of these guys have left their jobs on universities to get a, a, a degree in exercise phys and to become a certified strength and conditioning coach. They've all done whether it's a gymnastic side of it. But we have a guru, if you would, an expert probably in every field because these guys just kind of fall in love with this whole thing, you know. Um, when it comes to the actual model of the, the developing these guys, you know, we've had coaches with us for seven years now. They've been what they've been either a member that I put through the pipeline because we throw everybody through a pipeline. We usually hire for the most part through our um, members. And the first thing that I look for is uh, a personality. Is somebody with a personality. I've met many, many coaches out there that are highly intelligent and know exactly what they're doing, but they, they don't know how to talk to people. They don't know how to relay that message. They're either extremely rude or they're bottled up and they're scared of, about talking in front of people. So even if you have all this information inside of you, if you don't have a personality to go along with it, it's difficult. It's difficult to be coached on here, especially as you guys know, is you're turning around and you're talking to 40, 50 people. That's intimidating to a lot of people. And a lot of these guys do better on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So that's where we kind of view them and go, okay, this guy's good as the class leader. That guy's more as the one-on-one -on -one coach type of thing. And we kind of just let it play itself out where these guys kind of find their holes and they just blossoms from there. We've had one of our coaches that's been with us for close to six years that he's not the head coach. He's just kind of like the B guy. But he enjoys being that role. He's the softer, uh, more intelligent, soft-spoken guy that, that prefers the one-on-one -on -one personal training type thing as opposed to the rah-rah, sis-boom-ba guy that's doing, you know, box jump overs as he's explaining the wad type of thing. So um, we kind of just let the personality develop itself and then see if these guys have a passion from it, and then they kind of just take it from there. Sounds like a, a significant undertaking, but it's, uh, you know, it's pretty cool that you were able to carry over a lot from – what you were doing in the firehouse over into uh, into the gym. And that's almost the exact same thing I did coming on to Balboa and Power Athlete, coming from my corporate gig. I come over to this place, there's absolutely no procedural documentation, and I about shit my pants. I'm like, how the fuck am I supposed to remember any of this? A, because I have no short-term memory. I'm like the guy from Momento. Like, I have to get shit tattooed. And then B... For Which anyone, is funny because then you fucking try to pin me down on shit, and I'm like, you yeah. have worse memory than I do. Well, that's why I write everything down. I, you, you need, that's why I need operational yeah, documentation. Yeah, that, that, that's why he's got, he's like, we had a conversation. I'm like, you didn't remember that. But cool. uh, but we so I used to sit around and and just work, John would try to educate me on the ins and outs of the seminar. And anyone who's been to this thing is like, there are so many moving pieces depending on where you know where the dials are set. And what questions being asked, and what portion of the lecture you have to, you know, deliver with a certain type of 
personality or ethos or uh, you have to deliver certain information and it's just it was it was overwhelming, and that's exactly what you know. I'm like, dude, there's no way we're gonna be able to re replicate this. So I just started kind of writing everything down and trying to organize and sift through it like I was at my old fucking corporate gig. But uh, right. you know, you know when when we were developing, and, and we're kind of the same way over here. When we were developing these coaches, um, like I said, all these guys were just turning around and talking to a class of 50 people. I mean, you're talking to lawyers, doctors. We had some you know, pretty well off people, members, and they they were just fearful to turn around to these guys. So I, I used to just sit next to them and just say, hey, listen, scratch your nose when you need me to jump in. If you get cold feet, if something happens, you, f you forget the wad, you know, I'm there for you type of thing. Just give them this sense of security type. So it, it just took some development. You know, one of the guys that we have here with us now, his name is Sergio Garcia. He's a he's an ex-major uh, leaguer. Uh, this guy's been with us for seven years now, and the guy started off, I mean, he, he couldn't remember his name when he was, and he's going to kill me for saying this, but he couldn't remember his name when he would turn around and talk to, to the members, and it was intimidating. You have 50 or 60 people in the class. Now the guy's one of the best coaches here in South Florida, and he's absolutely loved, and he could remember not only your name, but uh, your grandma's name, if you got a haircut, that your dog died a month ago. Like, this guy is fantastic. He's everything. He, if there's a checklist for coaches, this guy is all of them marked off because he's absolutely greatest personality you've ever seen. He's a tremendous athlete, and um, and he's you know what he f he fills every void that there is, and that's kind of they're hard to find. But by him alone, anytime I have a coach that comes through the through the pipeline, I send him to Sergio. He's the first line of defense, and within a, a week, Sergio could look at me and either give me the thumbs up or thumbs down, just say, "Nah, this guy isn't going to cut it." He just doesn't fit the mold. Other guys, he says, yeah, he's going to need a little, bit, a little bit more development. But Sergio down here in Miami, he's the man. How how long are the classes? Are they the typical one hour? Because, damn, dude, so, yeah, 50 they, or 60 no. people. Yeah, so so the, the days of 50 or 60 are, are, are long gone. Um, that used to be on the norm um, in, in the beginning. Say an average of 20, 20 to 30 members a class. They are, to do the, to do the work of it, um, they are all an hour long. They're morning classes, just like most gyms uh, across the country. We have a break from 1 to 4 o'clock when most of our coaches do either personal training sessions or they train on their own. And then they start up again at 4 o'clock, uh, 4, 4, 15. And then it's every hour on the hour. And the way that our coaches have enough time to do a warm-up and a cool-down is it's like a, it's like an orchestra, man. These guys are just, you know, running in now. They Once taken to 4, the warming up the five one's cooling down that class another one has an olympic class or a competitor's class going on it's it's a sight to see because an outsider walk into the box and it is overwhelming and we try to intercept them as quickly as we can because it's scary you know how it is bars banging guys are shirtless people are screaming on the radio so it's trying to catch people before they walk out to let them know hey listen we're not a bunch of freaks these are your, your average joe in here this is just kind of the way that we run our program um, but it does get kind of chaotic, and it's, it's, it's taken a lot. You know, about three years ago, I was keen micromanager. It, it, I was a nightmare to deal with because I was on top of every coach, starting on time, make, making sure you did a, a warm-up, making sure you got the classes done. Everything had to be done by the end of the class. Now these guys, they run the show. I basically walk into the boxes now, hey, do you need toilet paper? Anybody die? We're all good. What do you guys need? And I walk out. That's literally how it's become over here because these guys are so – experience here and you get resumes and I'm sure you guys get it over there too you get resumes once a week everybody down here in, in South Florida is across the level one hell I myself I must have hosted a good 14 cross the level one shirts 
through our IM location. Dave is hitting me up. They're just popping them out a dime a dozen down here. So um, there's no shortage of, of CrossFit coaches down here. Mike, I just sent you my, my resume. Heads up. So the, the, it sounds like the approach that you took with developing coaches, reaching out to Ollie guys, sports-specific guys, baseball guys, whoever it is, it sounds like you're taking this approach with the Samson games and finding the best coaches in the world and helping them develop this high-quality competition. Absolutely. That's the route that we took. You know, our, our director of the Samson games, name is uh, Hugo Ruiz and this is one of these uh, these powerlifting you know maniacs and um, he's been does the west side does this everything in the books and I reached out to him and I said hey listen there's an event that I want to bring on uh, it's called the Samson game it, it's a huge undertaking I'm looking to bring in a hybrid of uh, powerlifting a little bit of CrossFit football and um, some strongman movements into it. I go, it, it's not going to be one of each. It's going to be just a little bit of sprinkled so that the, the big, strong guy and girl could come in here and just lift some heavy stuff. I said, the way that we have to do this is we have to reach out to the best of the best. We have to reach out to the guys that are well-known and, and have a reputation for knowing what the hell they're doing, and let's reach out to these guys and have in mind. And I'm like, oh, and John Wellborn. I mean, I can't think of anybody else but the guys from Power Athlete HQ to come on and collaborate with this guy. I go, it's, it's not a, it's not a marketing ploy. It's not a sponsorship. It's a collaborator. Like let's send these guys workouts, let them give feedback, tell them whether one sucks or we're going to kill somebody or it's too light or it's too weak. And let's really reach out to these guys and, and see how these things go. They've been a part of it. And he absolutely, any opportunity that he had to be able to work with, with, uh, with you guys and John and, and, uh, and Rob Orlando, he jumped on board. He literally was all over the static and he's done a phenomenal job. Uh, he was done a, a great job of keeping in touch with everybody, making sure that you know the, the wads are, uh, the events are taken care of, and the logistics are done, and the equipment. So it's been quite the undertaking. But there's no way that I would have launched this thing without collaborating with guys that have a, a foothold of this community, which is you guys and Rob and Logan and those cats. John, how did you how did you respond to that? Because I'm sure you get people all the time that want you to write specific programs for them or. Or something yeah. like you know, for a long time we did uh, our own version of the contest. You know, we did our you know power athlete team series. We did uh, you know the Occupy Strength and a couple different things. And I think what we realized in doing that is to really, I think, like get good market share. And it, uh, it was just kind of my own step back where I like looked at it and thought, you know what, we can chase our tail or we can take a step back and you know maybe go and talk to a couple people about sponsoring some events. And as we were talking about that, Mike hits me up on this and I'm like, oh my god, it's timing. Like, yeah. yeah, it was just incredible timing because one, it was um, you know uh, really a global event. If you take a look, I mean, if you think about CrossFit and really what's happening right now with this kind of functional fitness um, environment. You have, you know, the pinnacle, I guess, or the top of the, the heap would be something like the CrossFit Games. Um, but the CrossFit Games is very narrow in terms of the amount of people that actually get to participate and take forth. And it's not really the every man's contest. It's kind of the, well, it's a test for the fittest man on the planet. And if you're going to make the claim that we're testing for the fittest man on the planet, it better be extremely hard. Um, and I think where there's um, a huge amount of market share is things like the Crush Games and, you know, the Granite Games and these other, you know, almost like, um, you know, bigger, kind of more fitness. Like a pro, yeah, like a pro yeah, like a pro in many ways. And, uh, you know, 
really kind of just kind of talking about this, Mike hit us up, and I've known Mike for a long time. I mean, haven't met him over a, a number of years. We've done seminars down there, and, you know, Miami's always been near and dear to my heart. So it just was kind of a natural deal. And when he brought it to us, like, hey, I actually want to do some form of actually dedicated day like the Samson Games and not just like a CrossFit football-inspired workout because we've had those over the course of the years. I mean, I remember even as early as 2009, um, one of the regionals before it was standardized workouts had, uh, you know, across the football total and like three or four workouts that, you know, we designed for them. So um, this was really nothing new to us. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we don't really have to look to try to, uh, you know, get lightning strike. I mean, these guys have already done a great job and, and um, you know, they're on it. So I was more than happy to, to join up with, you know, somebody who's not only an established guy, but, you know, an ex-football player who, you know, understands, you know, what we're trying to do and what we're about, and um, you know, I'm stoked. And actually, I'm going down to the Crush Games here next week, and uh, or is it next week? Yeah, two weeks. Two weeks, not this two week. Weeks. Following yeah, weekend. following weekend. And right, so I'll right. be down there. So this will be people will be listening to this right as you're traveling down. Oh, so that's, yeah. Out, so, so yeah, we'll be there, and uh, I think Bobby and I are going down there. We're going to hang out and uh, um, you know, officiate this thing and see how it goes and lend a hand and you know, anything we got to do, we got to go out there and. You know, slap people in the face, spit in their mouth, howl at the moon, and, you know, help get people ready. We'll do whatever we can do. Yeah, Mike, I don't know, uh, you know, this wasn't part of the original rider agreement, but uh, John has insisted that he is the the roaming referee, <laughs> and he's like Terry Tate, the office linebacker, but he's going to be John Wellborn, the pit judge. And if he doesn't like what anyone's doing, he's just I, going. I like I told somebody at a seminar, I was like, if I ever see you do that again, I'm just going to tackle you in the fucking back, and I'm probably just going to fucking snap your spine. And the guy, like, looked over at me, and, like, later on, he was like, uh, you know, I... Uh, oh, what did I do? <laughs> I kind of, like, wasn't sure if you were kidding or not, and he, like, went to laugh, and I was like, I wasn't fucking kidding. I would have literally fucking broke right. your spine if I saw you do it again. And he was oh, like... And he just kind of, like, shook my hand and, like, went away. I was like, <laughs> awesome. Uh, I, I would absolutely love that. You know, um... When, when we, uh, Hugo and I spoke about bringing on uh, the Power Athlete HQ, I had, I had met John several times at some seminars that we had done. And, um, and when I reached out to John and he told me that this kind of fit exactly in what they're, I, I, was, I was super stoked because the programming itself for uh, Stamps and Games are these um, short, less than two minute type stuff of um, pulling, pushing, driving. Sounds like Luke's over sex life. Exactly. I was gonna say less than two minutes. I was like, sounds like Luke Summer's sex life. Let me explain explain something. It's a universal time domain. Like I'm talking, like I can eat chips in two minutes. I can, you know, I get things done in two minutes. That's what I do. What do you want me to do? Give me two minutes, I get it done. And then if it takes longer than that, I'm worthless. <laughs> well, it's uh, this will this will be right up your alley. You'll do perfect in this. But one of the things that I had to introduce and. Hugo, the first thing he asked me, he said, like, okay, pick a water. And I said, NFL combine bench press. I mean, it, it just took a second for me to say that because it yes. had to be a part of this thing. You know, we did um, a year and a half ago, we got hired by Disney to run the Disney Fit Challenge. And it was basically a, a CrossFit, you know, without using the word CrossFit, CrossFit competition at Disney, at ESPN All Water Sports. And I said, you know what, let's throw in, and we did it there. We did a broad jump and we did a bench press. And it was probably the most popular exciting event there guys getting because you see it on tv and you see these monsters and you say okay three times but how many people actually lay under a bench and say okay let's throw 225 and see how many times you do it so it's not a relative until you actually have to lay underneath that bar and realize that you only did it four times to see how big and strong these monsters are pushing this thing 20 30 40 times so 
I, I'm going to be excited. I would probably stop everything that I'm doing during that event at the Samsung Games to see these guys get under the bar, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if John jumps under there either. Oh, 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 oh I, yeah, I just saw something fall down on the floor. It was uh, like a challenge. <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's something, there's something primal or like hardwired in, maybe it's just guys who played football or, because yeah. when we used to program one hour on bench days on yeah. Fridays at Balboa, well, people would show up and like, it was like Vladimir spitting in bubbles <laughs> and shit like that. You know like, what, like, I'll, I'll tell you this, I think uh, a lot of people, and you know, this is not a knock on it, but like, you know, the CrossFit things really kind of shit on the bench press and this, and you know, it's just the non-functional and, uh, you know, which is so retarded that there was like a backlash against the fact that people in gyms actually do the bench press so then there was like a backlash over the years but I, I had somebody tell me once before that a bench press wasn't functional and I was like well define functional because uh, planning uh, you obviously never played football because if you had you would know that you know your hands you know your ability to drive your hands in that movement is very functional but um, you know I also came to the conclusion that the people that don't really like the bench press are, are the people that are not good at the bench press Right, because I mean, I've never met anybody that was good at the bench press. It was like, yeah, I don't really like it. It's kind of useless. I mean, I bench 500 pounds, but I don't like to do it. Or like have a situational appreciation. <laughs> yeah. So like when me and Tex are bench pressing, he doesn't like it because he knows they're gonna fucking out bench. I was. I remember going to Luke. Any press, I got you, man. Any any press. All right. Challenge. I remember when I went to the my first CrossFit football cert and it was advertised that they were going to have the the 225-pound uh, bench press contest. That was like part of it, right? And, and, we, I, and we did it. I fired up, I trained, and uh, when we got there, we didn't do it. Well, we, we, we actually we, we did it for a number of years, but the, but the, the bench press was kind of this floater deal where if things didn't go completely off the fucking rails, we would do it. If things went off the rails, we didn't do it. Which means if they went off the rails, you got better information. Like Yeah, it was <laughs> it was like I, I actually remember the last time we did it, we were in Canada and there was a guy who was like a bodybuilder that had like oh like doing some CrossFit stuff, who showed up his wife who was like a, a like a, a bikini figure girl. And, uh, you know, they were pretty, you know, out of, you know, having done a lot of these CrossFit, they, they were a little out of sorts, but they were kind of into it. We fucking lay down for that uh, 225 bench, and the dude does it 43 times. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. Like, like, he did it like it was nothing, 43 times, which pretty much would set the combine record. And I remember thinking to myself, that's the last time we're ever going to do it. We fucking, we capped it. Because if they was, beat us, we don't do it that anymore. That was the last time. And the other the other key factor why we stopped doing it is uh, we would go to gyms that would have, you know, we'd have got 20 people at the seminar that would have one bench press. That and, was, and you know how long yeah. it took people to run them through. And, like, that's when we ended up going to the floor press and, like, a lot of the stuff. So, you know, if we went to a gym that had 20 benches, we'd probably be in on it, but it just doesn't fit that way. How did so, you do it? Did you, did you just let, like, one person take – like one shot and go, or was oh, it like how you used to program it in CrossFit football? You're like, take two attempts and, you know, give me the best out of the two. Dude, the way we used to do it was straight up, and Luke called it high school football style. <laughs> so we would warm everybody up with some push-ups, and we'd give them like, like, like a little bit of like go, and like we, we had people be like, all right, do you want 135, 185, or 225? And so the, usually the girls could like pick a weight. There was a couple chicks there. Uh, and then like, you know, we, we let some people go. And then when we got to 225, it was straight up high school football. 
we would form a ring around the bench. You would lay down and like start going, and people would be counting the reps, fucking screaming. It's a good and day to die. Oh, dude, it was fucking. It was straight up like uh, something out of a moody a movie. And then they'd rack it up, and you just you know just go in there cold. I and, bet uh, you. You know what's crazy? I bet you, the people that come to our seminar these days, maybe twenty percent have ever experienced that well, event. You know so, what I mean? So when when we did the original, so like uh, this sounds kind of crazy, but. Uh, CrossFit, you know, uh, Greg, Greg Glassman, you know, offers me the idea of doing CrossFit football uh, on right around like the February 28th, like the end of February. Uh, we launched CrossFit football, the website, uh, March 31st. So it was 30 days between when, hey, John, you should do CrossFit football to where I created the website, created a program, did everything, and launched it. And that first day we launched, we had like 17,000 hits in 100 plus countries. And then, um, it was, that was, let's say, April 1, and then March 17th, or I'm sorry, May 17th, which was exactly like six weeks later, uh, we we had our first seminar, which was like a tester, and I had to sit down and create this whole seminar, and it was, um, I reached out, I had a uh, uh, hit up Andy Stumpf uh, to help me, and then it was uh, Ruiz for the sprint stuff, and then Kelly Starrett was uh, on my original seminar staff. And then we had one other you, guy. Yeah, you, you initiated Kelly, did you not? Yeah, yeah. So actually, Kelly came to my seminar and uh, was really good, so much so that they offered him his own seminar, <laughs> which he had been trying to get for a long time. So Kelly had presented the idea of a seminar numerous times. They kind of shot it down. He presents it to me once, and he gets his own seminar. So if it hadn't been for me, Mobility Wad would have been non-existent. But, uh, um, and I, so I had to create this seminar. And I remember hitting up my brother, Ed, and, uh, you know, my brothers all played football, and they were at that first seminar, and I remember my brother, Ed, he was like, dude, just fucking make it like a high school football, like a high school locker room, like a college locker room. He's like, get in there, let's talk about it, let's watch film. Uh, and we used to actually watch film, which was even funnier. I used to put up a highlight tape of different athletes, including myself, and we would, like, have a <laughs> film review watching football players play because I had this idea that if we could watch film, I could show people what athleticism was, and then what I and it was kind of a, a you know this utopian idea that like we can sit down and watch cutups, we can do change of direction, movement, all these other key factors, and you see athletic people do things, you can stop and start pointing them out because I got sideline and you know uh, end zone type of stuff, and then I came to the conclusion, uh, which is pretty interesting. Like I had this idea that you know like if I can show people what this is and I can teach them the movements, it's kind of like teaching like a language. If I can teach you the letters and if I can teach you the the tone, let's say if you're going to speak Korean, you should be able to speak Korean, which we know is not the case. <laughs> which we know that movement is actually a language in itself and that it's very difficult to teach somebody the language of movement that doesn't already understand it. So yeah. that was that kind of idealistic kid that was going to come in and fucking take people that weren't necessary athletes and teach them to do something athletic. And uh, so we taught that first seminar and uh, we got some really great reviews and that was seven years ago and uh, it's been evolving ever since and it was a pretty great seminar until Lou Summers came on and started fucking standardizing everything and operational manuals yeah like there was no more shooting from the hip but uh, you know I, I knew we had to do that when Ruiz came in and gave a 45 minute talk on time travel and uh, the margin of error in flying to Mars yeah at that point I was like dude we gotta Listen, if we, you can't make that see. connection, you shouldn't be sure. Oh, no. It, it was a 45-minute talk talking about, like, the Mars landing. And, like, people were just kind of, like, put their pencils down confused. And uh, they were like, what's this have to do about anything? He's like, nothing. I just thought it was interesting. I'm like, oh, we got to stand for this. 
We lose everybody. Well, you know? No, no. John, you guys, um, you guys are ha actually hosting a, a seminar down here on October seventeenth and eighteenth at our Dural location, correct? Is that yeah. Couple states, correct? No. Yeah, yeah that's right. You know, we, um, the last time you guys came down here, I was actually on shift and I couldn't get it off, and then we, we sent Lauren Brooks. Yep. To your event, right? To your event in somewhere up north in Florida, like, I want to say like on the East Coast. And she ranted and raved about the absolute – she actually asked us if we could get her out to um, to California to train with you guys. That's how much she absolutely loved it. And she, you know, hands down said it's the best seminar she's ever been to. Um, oh, that's, and I think that's you guys are doing yeah. some, some programming for her and stuff like that. So she'll be at the Crush Games. You guys will be able to see her there Saturday. Nice. Is she uh, is she competing or is she just kind of like spokesmodeling? She she, she is spokesmodel. That's exactly what I call her these days. She's yeah, spokesmodel. She, she's a spokesmodel. No, she's, she shows she up is. in this way she's for the a, land. She is. She has her own calendar and everything. She's doing great. She's a good friend of mine, and she's coming out here. She's supporting. She's actually emceeing some events. Oh, nice. So she's oh, going to be out there. Absolutely. She's uh, like to see her. No, I, I think me and Laura Brooks should be the future of CrossFit Games emceeing. Oh my God! I I watched you MC once. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Uh, you were you were sweating so bad. I've never seen anybody sweat that bad. Yeah, you know how hot it is in Florida. There's a lot of humidity. I don't know if you make it. But uh, no, that, oh, that's yeah, good for her. How, uh, how's she doing? I'm. Uh, she she's, she's been a little banged up, so hopefully she can around the corner and clean up some of those injuries and get back into the you know into the fight with the CrossFit stuff, huh? Absolutely. She had a, a, a bad hammy injury um, in regionals that kind of knocked her out of the whole competition there and stuff. But she's training. She's uh, she, she was telling me her training regimen the other day. I kind of fell asleep halfway through it. It was just like four hours of and that was just her explaining what the regimen is like. And um, her diet's on point. She sends me her uh, her daily menu and stuff like that. But she's doing very well. And uh, um, she's going to be down here. She's, she's excited. And I'm sure she's going to be even more excited when she finds out that you guys are coming down here. And I could probably get her on a bench press also because it's her hammy. It's not her arm. So see if we could get her to do one of those and stuff. But she uh, she's coming down with the Killcliff boys. The Killcliff guys came in, and they actually – they're title sponsors of the Crush game. So you'll see all of them down here too. But um, it's fun. Yeah, Mike, uh, just going back to the, the competition and the workouts and choosing them – I love the 225 bench press test. I love the 225 bench press test. And I'm curious, like, what is your vetting process for why? With more and more competitions popping up, we're seeing just these over-the-top, outlandish, crazy workouts just for competitions trying to make a name for themselves. So what what's the thought process breakdown between you and all your coaches for the borderline between creative and prudent? I think our, our underlining model is keep it simple, stupid. You know, I, I, I could totally agree with you. I see some of these competitions out there doing some, um, it's almost irresponsible. And um, every single event that we put out to our competitors gets tested and retested. And the one thing that I promise our, uh, our scorecard maker is that I will stop looking at the workouts because I constantly go back and forth on if we should up it five pounds, lower the risk, uh, increase the intensity, uh, what have you. So a lot of our workouts are simply singles, couplets, triplets. Um, we put a time cap on every single one of our workouts of 10 minutes. We don't allow anybody to work past 10 minutes. Um, we try to test their, their fitness level in that 10 minutes, and we also, uh, their skill level along with their strength. Um, the last thing that I ever want in any of my competitions is anybody getting hurt. 
Um, we look at the overall uh, macro view of the programming and to make sure that we're testing uh, as many modalities as possible. And then we look at the micro view. So we pick apart every single um, workout that we have to see if it's a strong guy, what portion it favors the skill guy, and then which one could get the endurance guy an advantage. I then turn around and I turn to one of my coaches, Rob Silver, that's probably uh, experienced and academia-wise, probably the most knowledgeable of us all, and he's our safety officer, quote-unquote, if you will. And he looks at these uh, workouts and he'll tell me, look, you know, this is taxing the posterior chain. You know, this might – people hyperextend their back. Uh, you might get a guy with, you know, shoulder problems, so you got to look at their standard individually. So these guys, uh, Rob picks them apart, and he gets back to me, and then we make some changes. So it is a six to seventh month process of uh, creating these workouts to make sure that um, they're fun, they're uh, resulting in the right person finishing on top of the leaderboard, um, and that they it, it lends itself well for uh, spectators, that spectators could actually see who's in the lead. So that's a, a logistic thing that we got, uh, that we base a lot of our probing on. Um, so not, they're just not standing in one spot doing rep after rep and you kind of lose track of, uh, the technology nowadays with rep counters and, uh, the, the training of the judges that has made this, uh, a lot easier. But I think that, the the biggest responsibility that we have, you know, people are going to go out to these competitions and whether they could do it or not, um, they're going to take a chance on a lot of these movements. Um, we've, uh, we've, I'd rather be called safe rather than risky. I'd rather make sure that uh, there's not a bar or piece of equipment near anybody that could get themselves hurt. If it doesn't make sense, we don't do it. Um, you know, a lot of these competitions out there, uh, they are up and coming and uh, they're popular and they, they get big names that go out to them. But it's I look at returning athletes, how many people keep going back to the competition, what does the feedback look like. Um, we usually put together a group of uh, almost a review board, if you will, after the competition. So sponsors, athletes, um, judges, and we just ask them to give us some feedback. What can we do better? What sucked? What was great? Would you come back? That type of stuff, just so we could keep getting better and better and growing, you know? Um, but we did it. We did it across the board. We did it with uh, CompFit. We did it with Samson Gains. And then our Crush 5K, if uh, if you look at the divisions there, it's everything from a our charity, which is Blossom Therapy. It's for children with illnesses. It's just a run walk, and then we have an actual race, so you fall into the species. So across the board, we're trying to make this competition lend itself well to not only the athletes but the spectators. It, it's a process. It is uh, eight. It's an undertaking that not a lot of people can follow through. I've seen a lot of competitions come onto the map and call themselves the biggest and the best, and um, some of them rise, and other them just fall. You don't hear about them anymore uh, because it is a lot of work. And uh, it's it's uh it's a fun endeavor and it's something that we've been blessed to have support from our sponsors and our judges, um so it's exciting you know year number five right around the corner nine days away. Well, Mike, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm gonna meet you real quick here because we're getting real out of go. I'll tell you what. You know, whatever you're doing down there is working because uh, I've been getting the sponsorship pack for the past few years and I, I mean just in. Involvement from athletes and sponsors, and even spectators are uh, is growing like seemingly exponentially. And I tell you what, if anyone's down in that area, go go check out the games. I know it's uh, everything's probably all sold out, but we're going to be down there. Check out the CrossFit Football Power Athlete uh, Experience. We're going to be up there giving a little 30-minute clinic. You'll be able to sign up on location. Uh, but get out there, and I guess we probably should wrap it up right about now. We've been on for just over an hour. It's been 
great conversations and good stories, and uh, and it's been a pleasure having you on, Mike. So, um, anything else you want to leave any of our listeners with on places uh, you know where they can go and check it out, sign up, or check it out for next year? Yeah, they could come check it out. It's uh, www.thecrushgames.com. Um, Killcliff is bringing down a huge family fun zone, so the whole family could come down. We have a tent city, so it's a, a three-day festival where people could camp out, uh, come meet the boys at CrossFit Football, and there's a bunch of spectator challenges going on. So uh, Michelob Ultra is one of our sponsors for you beer drinkers out there. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about it. Nice, Mick Ultra is a, like that's the healthy Gatorade beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the healthy Gatorade. Yeah, we like I'm it. We're good. We're good. All right, so guys. High fructose corn syrup? No, don't worry about that. But all right, guys. Well, let's let's wrap it up. And uh, for those of you listening to this, I think what what do we get? One hundred and fifty thousand downloads within the first ten minutes of release. So if you're one of those one hundred and fifty thousand people, head to the fucking Crush Games, get a Mick Ultra, and go arm wrestle Bobby Goodfellow because that's what it's about. Fucking challenge. And uh, if Lauren Brooks nice. beats you with the bench press, don't be upset. She's no, <laughs> yeah, she is a, tr- a proper athlete. Yeah. So, all right, guys. Well, let's uh, let's call it. I'll talk to you guys next week. Cool. See you. Thanks a lot, Mike. See you guys. Thank you. Yep. See you soon. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. The Crush Games is an annual competition in South Florida, and although this year's event is next weekend, if you're thinking of getting involved for 2016, do not hesitate. Visit www.thecrushgames.com for all the information you need, including the endurance competition, the CrossFit events, and our favorite, the Samson Games, a competition for true power athletes. If you want to know what kind of music motivates Mike Osuna to keep crushing life and business, visit the blog post for this episode on powerathletehq.com for that Spotify playlist. Until next time, bye!